Hello and welcome back to Victorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but that doesn't stop me from learning about art anyway. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I also love learning about art all the time anyway as well. On this podcast, we generally talk about visual artists, uh, mostly like painters and sculptors. That's kind of our thing. Uh, We're not doing that today. (laughs) Today is our 50th episode and is also serving as our two-year anniversary, which is very exciting. We did it. (laughs) Uh, So I decided just to have a little bit of fun in my home arena, which is talking about musicals. I'm very excited about this. It was, I had a lot of fun last time and I learned a lot because I pretty much don't know anything about musicals. So it's, it's a fun experience for me. Well, today I am basically just going to walk through a few different musicals that are about visual artists. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about here. And I also picked up on some pretty interesting patterns, which I think will make some fun discussion topics for the second half of the episode here. But first, I thought I'd just dive into some examples. I do want to mention, I, I guess I'll consider these honorary mentions um, Okay. <laughs> uh, of a couple different ones that I'm not really going to get into. First of all, there's Fun Home, which is based on a graphic novel. It is also based on the life of the graphic novelist and uh, cartoonist Alison Bechdel. And so that's definitely uh, re- very much related to visual art. A lot of the musical is about her, her early experiences with drawing and learning um, illustration. There's also Ordinary Days, which is a musical that is not about any uh, real artist or even any named artist, but it's kind of the concept of art is very prominent throughout the musical. There's a multiple scenes at the Met. Um, they talk a lot about what art is and how you can appreciate art. And one of the main plot lines is about a man who is working for this like <laughs> contemporary artist in New York, but um, his contemporary art is graffiti, and he's uh, bad at it. Um, <laughs> okay. And, and he goes to jail. And so um, oh my this God. guy is like hired to feed his cat while he's gone. And that kind of sparks a lot of these conversations about art and who this, who is an artist and all this kind of stuff. I, I just Googled the um, ordinary days and I'm seeing a lot of pictures of like random pieces of colored paper all over the place. Is yep. that a thing? <laughs> yeah. So part of this is this artist, uh, what he did was he would basically like write these mess as they put it in the song, like write these messages all over the city that are like, they're kind of encouraging cliches. Um, and this guy at the, this is the, like the very first song. I really like ordinary days. I could talk about it for a while, but, um, <laughs> the one of our main characters, the very beginning of the musical, the opening song, he's standing in the, on a sidewalk with all of these papers where he's decided he's going to like take up the mantle of this artist. And, but instead of, you know, like, uh, painting these uh, messages he's printed them out on all these papers written them on all these papers and he's trying to pass them out to people and trying to like share this these like happy messages with people which is not easy to do in manhattan <laughs> yeah so those are just kind of a couple of honorable mentions that aren't quite what i'm mostly talking about today also i guess i'll mention moulin rouge um does feature a, a real artist whose uh, name was henry toulouse um 
as a very minor character and also like in real life he was a painter and a printmaker very much a visual artist and they portray him as more of a musical artist in Moulin Rouge um Moulin Rouge is very fantastical and not interested in portraying reality so that makes sense but they do they do use the name of a real artist which is interesting um I actually didn't uh Henry designed also the posters for Moulin Rouge as well he did yes that's one of the things he's most famous for oh okay that's I was like I thought I I thought I've heard this somewhere but anyway (laughs) so my first big section I want to talk about though is what I am calling um musicals about Van Gogh which apparently is its own genre oh wow (laughs) okay in looking at musicals that are about like real famous artists I found five and three of them are about Van Gogh (laughs) Oh, my. I'm sure there are more, but this is, like, the ones that I found that could be, like, discerned through Google um, (laughs) and who have, like, gotten enough sort of public attention that they showed up in my um, search. But, yeah, I I understand that, like, Van Gogh is one of the most famous artists in the world. And also, like, I think his life story is very engaging to people because he had such a tragic life that people are, are very much relate to a lot of things about him and are very drawn to him but yeah it does seem like there's this outsized musical interest in van gogh three full musicals that even even just you know of note that's that's quite a few (laughs) what's really interesting about them too is they all take very different tacks and they all focus on very different areas of his life which is pretty cool to see like they're not all just like oh here's the story of van gogh like they're all very specific chapters in his life or like angles in his life which is fascinating to me one's called the highest yellow uh, which premiered in 2004 and this focuses on van gogh's relationship with the physician who treated him after he cut his ear off and so this is a real physician um obviously i was i haven't seen the show obviously (laughs) um but i would assume aspects of this are fictionalized or sensationalized but it this was a real person and they had a real relationship and an exchange van gogh painted this man uh the doctor did not like the portrait that van gogh painted of him it seemed like they had kind of a tumultuous relationship at different points uh but that is what the highest yellow is about the highest yellow being a reference to uh van gogh's interest in the color yellow then there's curtains up um, which is actually about the brief period when van gogh and paul Gauguin lived together um, and both were uh, inspired by the innkeeper's wife um, and both painted her in a different paintings that they produced um this is again real period of van gogh's life in which he lived with this other artist who he was quite close to but this focusing again on this particular chapter and their relationship with this woman and then finally there's this other musical that i found called starry which is actually still an active development um it was only started to be developed in like 2017 i think and it's still There's like a concept album out, but it's still like being developed, which is pretty interesting. And this focuses on the relationship between Van Gogh and his brother, Theo, who he was extremely close to and uh, had a very close letter correspondence with. Um, A lot of their letters are actually like some of the most rich autobiographical material that we have on Van Gogh because they were so detailed. And Theo supported Vincent um, basically his entire life and allowed him to survive at it because he was not uh, financially successful as an artist in his time. And so this musical focuses like on 
their relationship uh, throughout their lives. Yeah, it does seem like these are all periods that are pretty significant and and kind of can be their own self-contained stories. So I can see why like someone would want to explore those aspects of his life. Do they kind of also refer to like the artworks that he made in like I, I presume they probably do. Yeah. One thread that I found when researching all these musicals is it definitely seems to open up a lot of possibilities for staging that are really exciting because I think especially with these ones about Van Gogh, obviously, I mean, even the names of them, you know, the highest yellow starry, like they're clearly invoking the visual aspect of their work. And I think that there is a strong draw and even a pressure to depict Van Gogh's work in the staging visually in a way that captures the magic of, you know, like seeing those works that so many people have appreciated. Yeah, I actually, this reminds me of, um, I, last year I went to see the Van Gogh immersive experience show. Um, and it it was in Toronto, um, at the time. And it, this is, uh, for those who don't know, it's a show where images from his paintings projected like in three dimensions all over the place in this big room. And, um, and it's, edited and animated and there's music playing in the background like it you know as the name suggests it's supposed to be an immersive experience and it was actually like I I did I did really enjoy it but one thing that I did notice is that a lot of Van Gogh's paintings are just really amazing beautiful backdrops for settings and places like they just seem like they would just be beautiful like stage sets um in a way, it's like I can see how Van Gogh's like art can kind of easily translate into like a stage type of setting in a way. I wonder if you have any thoughts on why Van Gogh in particular is so beloved as a subject. I mean, I said some of mine earlier where I think like the tragedy of his life is appealing. But do you think besides like that people are drawn to his art, do you think there's any other reason that you can think of why he is so well represented in this kind of area that's a really good question and i think i think one aspect is probably just that his art it does seem to be i want to say like universally appreciated or at least like as far as i know the visuals that he he made and the colors and the richness and yeah like i think a lot of people are drawn to it i think just it, as an artist, it seems like he's very unique um, and and just appreciated a lot more than um, than other artists who may some people may like them and some people may not. And yeah, like I, I think that maybe the other reason is because he's a bit of like a mysterious or type of person because he wasn't really well or he wasn't well known at all during his lifetime and was only really became famous after he died so there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of questions about like his life and i think people like to explore that or people like to to learn about you know like what what it what, what it's like to be an artist uh, to have painted all his life but never really got famous like or became well known or successful in his in his lifetime. So I think there's that mystery that people are interested in. Yeah, that's a good point. I think there's so much space there to 
project, and I don't mean project in a negative way, but like project your own experiences and your own emotional journeys onto him because there is so much mystery to, to fill in the gaps there with your own feelings. And shout out to everyone who has listened to this whole section thinking about that one scene in Doctor Who. I too have been thinking about that scene. I have not seen that show, so I have no idea. <laughs> I For anyone who hasn't seen it, um, there's a very, very beautiful episode of Doctor Who where they beat Vincent Van Gogh and then they take him to the future to see a Vincent Van Gogh exhibit and hear a docent there speak about how Van Gogh is one of the finest artists who ever lived. And it's like... I can't even talk about it without crying because it's so oh, beautiful. Now that I think of it, I, I've heard I've heard of this. Even though I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who, I've heard about this before. Yeah. yeah. Hey, everybody. Even if you don't like Doctor Who, that's fair. Um, I recommend this episode. If you like this podcast, you would probably enjoy this Van Gogh episode. It's a lot of fun. And I'll make you cry. <laughs> I think I might go watch it after this. <laughs> so. I do have a couple to talk about that aren't just about Van Gogh, though. <laughs> okay. I do want to briefly mention the play Red. Um, it is a play and not a musical, which means I have very little interest in it. Um, but it is one of the most uh, sort of mainstream successful theatrical productions about a visual artist. Uh, this is a play about Mark Rothko. Um and specifically in the time period of 1958-59 when he was commissioned to paint murals for the Four Seasons restaurant, um, which he then famously uh, didn't give to them and decided that he would not – he decided to return the money um, and not uh, put these murals in the Four Seasons because he decided it was inappropriate for them. So this is a, a play that takes place during that period while he's painting them with this, what I believe, invented person, Ken, who is his assistant and kind of, you know, serves as the other person in this play. <laughs> so it's not just a guy painting. Wait, so there's only two people in this play? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, and and in, it was on, um, it was produced in 2009 and Eddie Redmayne was Ken. So there you go. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's one of the few one of the shows I'm talking about today that actually was um, uh, that actually was on Broadway. Um, Eddie Redmayne actually won the Tony for Best Featured Actor for it in 2010. So there you go, got some got some success there. Yeah, I, I think actually a couple episodes ago I talked about. Oh wait, did I mention Eddie Redmayne in that episode? I can't remember. You did. You did bring up Eddie Redmayne. It was, yeah, yeah. I was in my notes, but I forgot if I said it in the episodes. Uh, but yeah, this reminds me like Eddie Redmayne. I talked about him a couple of episodes ago when we talked about the International Climb Blue, and he wrote a thesis on that vivid blue color. And I guess guess I just now found out he was he was in a paint. Uh, he was in a play all about red. So he's wow, really into colors. <laughs> The other one I want to quickly mention before I get into my little finale here is a, a musical about Keith Haring that was called Radiant Baby. I found this score described as rock punk disco, which makes a lot of sense. And I found a review of it that basically said the staging was incredibly cool and the show itself wasn't that good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is sad. But there are a couple interesting things about about this, including that uh, the chorus of the show was um, children as a, a, a choice to reflect, like, Herring's work with children and uh, depicting children frequently in his work, which I thought was very interesting. Um, but it, this is more of a straight up, this is more of a straightforward story about um, 
Keith Haring's life, uh, especially like later in his life as he is a, a successful artist, but also um, struggling with um, AIDS and the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, I, I see from some of the pictures that it seems like Keith Haring, like, you know, that style and his baby imagery was used in the show. And I can see that also being like a very appealing, like visual and backdrop. So, you know, it very very interesting to see the um the what it looked like but i guess since the actual show wasn't very good <laughs> that's kind of a letdown but still i gotta say the combination of things that i've heard about this show in that it's got a rock punk disco score and that it's about keith herring has really good visuals but isn't ultimately very good this sounds like something i would personally really enjoy <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of I wish I could go see it. I don't I don't think anyone's putting on Radiant Baby. Um, but there is music for it online. So go nuts, everybody. I'm kind of interested in like hearing what the music in some of these plays that you mentioned are because when I went to that ex- uh, that experience, uh, the immersive Van Gogh experience, like it was just interesting to hear like what type of music is being paired with the paintings and the visuals you see, different art, like it, it evokes like different, you know, feelings for you. And so I, I'm very interested to kind of see what the interpretation that, you know, the people who did the musical scores for these plays um you know, ended up uh, coming up with. I feel like it's so important to have the music both reflect that art, but also work well with the art in order to, um, you know, to not only straightforwardly represent the feelings that the art evokes in you in a musical sense, but also like tie it into an overarching story that you're trying to tell. That can be quite challenging. I actually just, I think I just found the, uh, I know this episode isn't about playbills. <laughs> we talked about that already, but I think I found the playbill for Radiant Baby, and it's—I mean, I would say it's not a great <laughs> playbill either. Like, it—I mean, it—it it is very different and very unique, but it does seem like it's very kind of bland and like kind of different from what we talked about when we talked about playbills, where it's like usually it's very eye-catching and like iconic and Keith Haring works are like really colorful and like you know really bold and this is kind of the opposite of that yeah what an interesting choice well the last one I want to talk about is one that we talked about on the playbill episode as well Um, and that is of course Sunday in the Park with George (laughs) this is I would say undoubtedly the most famous musical that's been made thus far about a painter. It uh, premiered in 1984 and it won tons of awards, including the Pulitzer Prize. Um, So it's just very successful. But what's very interesting about this is unlike pretty much every other musical on this list, it makes no attempt to represent the real life of the artist. (laughs) Oh, okay. So this is a musical that was inspired by the painting a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte, um, which is if that very famous giant painting that's made of all just dots of color rather than strokes of color. And so this was painted by George Surratt and uh, Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine went to the Art Institute of Chicago and looked at the painting and they said, wow, I'm really inspired to make a musical based on that painting. And the main character is named George Surratt, but like it has very, it's not an attempt to actually represent his life. Like basically the rest of the characters are fictional. The story behind the painting and the musical is fictional. Like 
they're they make no secret of this and the second half of the musical isn't even about george surratt it's about his fictional descendant who is also an artist and is kind of battling with his legacy and the concept of art and what it means in the modern world and it's a really good musical it's actually the only one on the list that i've seen i haven't seen it live because my life's sad um but there's (laughs) a a really good professional uh recording of it with the original cast that you can see which is awesome um so i've seen that and it's a really beautiful show and it is like absolutely very much about this painting they recreate the painting with actors um in a way that is just a stunning piece of stagecraft and lots of really cool stuff and lots of really interesting ideas about art through the lens of this visual artist who is obsessed with making this painting but none of it is a representation of a real person (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's a play can be or a musical can just be a work of fiction, too. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I just find it interesting that it is the most successful out of all of these. And it's also the only one that's like, we're not really concerned with biography. It's interesting because I think that of every musical that I've mentioned here today, I think the other one that I would consider like fairly well successful is Fun Home, which was in my honorable mentions, which is the true story of a person, of a real person, but takes a very non-traditional tact at uh, portraying that life. Um, It takes place at three different ages and they're all interspersed with each other and it's uh, non-linear. But I wonder if there's something to that in that like attempts at more linear storytelling of these little sections of of these real people's lives just like hasn't lent itself well um to being on the stage i think what i really like about uh about these plays and or just like the existence of them um is that i think quite often we talk about you know we talk about art and like our experiences with them and like you know what what art is for and what art does and like something that I think I like I've mentioned a bunch of times and probably we've talked about it too is a lot of it is about like the painting or sculpture or whatever artworks, how they're experienced by people, uh, by other people, like how the audience experiences them and how the audience interprets them over time and how you can look at something that's really old and in history and have a connection with it. Um, and I think these, yeah, these plays, like even I think especially the ones that you just mentioned that are people using these artworks as inspirations to create other stories. Like it shows you that these artworks, like there's a life beyond them that they, they, that it's more than just somebody coming in and looking at a painting. It's like, Oh, very nice. And like leaves Um, is that they, they actually inspire other art and it's like and other types of creations. That's a really nice way to think about it. I did have I have two questions that I wanted to end this with, um, and one is kind of a open ended philosophical question to start with, which is why are all these about white men? <laughs> and this is not counting Fun Home, um, which again is in the honorable mention. It doesn't technically count, but <laughs> but all we've got Van Gogh, Mark Rothko, Keith Haring, George Surratt, um, even the other ones like um, again like. Eddie Warhol's in the Keith Haring one as well. Like every single one of these artists is a white man. And I'm just like, I'll, I'll see the floor to you. What are your initial thoughts about this? Well, I think it's because a lot of really famous artists happen to be white men. <laughs> like, Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, th- I, that's, 
you know, I, I, it's something that I've thought about too. Like when, you know, there are shows in like museums and large institutions who, you know, these days are trying to diversify for sure. And, and some have, but when you look at collections and when you look at what shows are, um, you know, major exp- exhibitions like right now i think at the ago there's there was recently an andy warhol show and there was a monet show and right now there's a picasso show so like i th- and I, and they keep having these presumably is because they draw in the crowds because they're famous artists and people know about them and they'll say oh like i'll come i'll come see it which i guess makes sense from a financial standpoint um but yeah like i i think it's possible that the creators of these plays are just like well we need somebody famous like somebody who's like a household name and that everybody's heard of and they just happen to be these few select individuals (laughs) so that's kind of what i the only thing i can think of at this point (laughs) um and maybe like maybe somebody has made a play or, or musical about like you know an artist like of you know, a different gender or culture or background that maybe just wasn't as as successful. But I guess we just have to get better at discovering them if that's the case. Yeah, I will say this is almost certainly not true for non English um, shows. But I I only speak English because I'm <laughs> yeah. So this is where I'm at. But um, yeah, it, but it's so true what you were talking about, and it's is. I feel like I get on this every time, but it is a self-perpetuating cycle. It's like, oh, these artists are the most famous. And so we put on their shows to attract audiences and we make musicals about their life because people are drawn to them and people have connections with them because they know their art. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when you do that, you're just contributing to that cycle. And so it's it's hard, though, because it's like unless, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda makes a musical about, <laughs> you know, a female artist or a black artist or whoever, uh, then you, you're not going to get the kind of funding and attention that you need to get your show going. Theater is very expensive. So you go with Van Gogh, who you love anyway. And yeah, it just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think maybe let's keep an eye out on people who who yeah who feature all kinds of different artists i hope i hope we'll see more of them in the future yeah everybody send me your indie shows about artists i would love to see them and know about them (laughs) but this actually leads me to my very last question of the episode today who would you want to see if you could pick any artist and it it can be a white man it's fine if it is (laughs) but (laughs) if you could pick any artist whose life would or whose art would you want to see on stage not to say that people now have to make musicals about Asian women, but <laughs> like, but the, they do. The person, so. Yeah, but they should. The person that just kind of, I guess, immediately came to mind is Yayoi Kusama. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I, I made a YouTube video about her. Like, I I love her. I think her work is great. But I think the other thing is like she just had a really. It, like, I mean, she's still alive, so she still has. Um, or she had like up until now a pretty interesting life and still does and she's like a really unique type of person (laughs) like uh, she has like a really unique character and like she's also kind of gone through a lot of things in her life that are quite tragic as well so I would say I feel like she would make a very interesting or like her her life story or maybe just similar similar to Van Gogh various points in her life could just make really interesting stories that's you know connected to her art and again her art also are lends itself well to these like really 
great visuals and backdrops as well. So yeah, let's somebody make a make a musical or play about Kusama, please. That's such a great answer. Her work would be so cool on stage. And I just have to share that I just had the following thought process. Because when I was thinking about, oh, who would I want to see? I thought about Georgia O'Keeffe. And then I was like, how is there not a musical about Georgia O'Keeffe? And then I Googled it. And there is. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I take back uh, about 10% of what I previously said. I just, Georgia O'Keeffe, as is always the token woman in the room when we talk about famous <laughs> artists. Um, but there there was a there was a musical that was made about George O'Keefe called Hello Sky, which is very nice. Um, and so th- that exists. Apparently, it was fully staged for the first time, it looks like, in uh, 2010. And so I don't know if this is still an active development or not. But good for you, people who made a musical about George O'Keefe. And then my other answer I wanted to say um, was... Uh, Basquiat, um, who is, we did an episode about him previously, and he was a really amazing artist and a fascinating person, um, and also was good friends with Keith Haring. So maybe bring back the Keith Haring musical, make a Basquiat musical, do them in repertory. I'm just spitballing here. (laughs) Yeah, you can even have like a crossover between the Keith Haring and the Basquiat musical, like, you know. Well, thank you to Mark Platt and everyone else who's listening to this episode of Pictorial. (laughs) You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial. And you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. You can also find me on Instagram at aspiringrobotfm. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Articulations V. And I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcast, where we upload visual versions of our podcasts, usually a few weeks after the audio version has come out. And for this episode, I guess we'll be looking at some pictures of uh, musicals. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.